Welcome to the 5-Minute Bible Study Podcast. This ain't your grandma's podcast. It is a rainy and dreary Saturday morning, afternoon, but I'm here making the most of it. I'm your host, Aaron, on the 5-Minute Bible Study Podcast, and today we're going to be talking about Bible reading tips. I did an episode of this a while back with guest Chance Dyer. I don't know, this is uh, one of the most popular episodes that the podcast has ever had. And just the other day, I released about eight Bible reading tips. That was a huge hit on the Facebook page. Uh, Many of you maybe have already read these. I added to those eight tips, I think it was seven more, so a total of 15 that I'm going to share with you in this episode. I'm also going to read with you I'm sorry, I'm also going to share with you a Bible reading fallacy that many people I've heard express and why they don't read the Bible through on a regular basis. I'm also going to give to you three benefits of reading the Bible through on a regular basis. So we're going to cover all of that in today's 37th episode. Before we do that, I want to share with you a quick commercial from our sponsors, and we'll get right into it. Hello, my name is Pastor Dollar, and I'm here to invite you to come to the Church of Money, Are you feeling like you can't catch a break? Is your business losing money each month? I'm here to share with you the secret to your problems. You just don't have enough faith, and you need to be contributing to my ministry. I came from nothing, but one day God spoke to me and called me to start the Church of Money and tell people about the blessing of the tithe. I went to the church the next Sunday, put in $10, gave my testimony, and people came and laid $1,000 at my feet. I went home and my lemon trees started producing like they never have before. My adolescent children hit a growth spurt that didn't quit until they were in their mid-twenties. I started the Church of Money that week, and God has blessed me with my own private jet, a $10 million home, and a church full of I mean, godly people. At the end of this commercial, I'm going to share my Cash App ID, and if you will spend $100 contributing to my ministry, then God will bless you in ways you can't even imagine. Tithing is the best thing you can do to get a return on your business and transform those deficits into growth. Start tithing today by visiting thechurchofmoney.com. This is a fake ad. Five-minute Bible study is opposed to any TV ministry or church that solicits the public for money. Please do not contribute money to TV preachers or any preacher under the lie that this will increase your profits and bring you a miraculous blessing. These are wolves in sheep's clothing preying on the public. It's time to get down to what this episode is all about. I know that y'all have been waiting for that. So in this episode, I want to share with you some Bible reading tips. As I said in the intro, uh, the Facebook post that I alluded to earlier that I shared on Facebook that uh, was this week was really encouraging to me, the feedback that you guys gave me. Um, some people left comments. I, several people shared the post. There was eight Bible reading tips. A lot of people liked it. Besides that and how I noticed that a lot of people listened to the first episode of Bible reading tips and tricks with me and Chance, I decided people want more of this. People really do are interested in tips about how to go about reading their Bible not only for consistency's sake, but also for understanding. And so I think this is definitely worth another episode and maybe other episodes down the line. I know a lot of people, they truly do have the desire, but for one reason or another, they fall off reading their Bible, whether as just a general habit or fall off from reading their Bible through on a regular basis. Um, I know a lot of times it's difficult for families. If you've not you know, been raised reading the Bible through as a family, especially it can be very difficult if you've just started this routine and you have, say, two or three young kids and they're restless and they're not used to this. You didn't establish this before they got um, you know, to talking age and running age. So a lot of this can be very intimidating to you. I want to encourage you that just because you fail your first time and just because you maybe didn't finish the Bible through this year or last year, not to give up on this practice. Um, be patient with it, but ultimately... If you'll understand the benefits for this and also take to heart some of these tips that I give you, then I think these will encourage you not only as a family, but also if you're an individual. So I want to put that out in front, but now let me go through at least three reasons why I think there are good benefits to reading your Bible through each year. Okay, the first one is, and I'm going to express uh, the first one as a common thing I hear people say. A common thing that I hear people say, and this is not just new Christians, I've heard many older Christians and many uh, seasoned Christians, will say it like that, who have said, I don't know my Bible like I should. 
And a lot of these Christians that I hear this from are not the people in the pews that you would really think would be saying this. It's probably people that you think and that are spiritually strong in many ways, but when it comes down to their feeling of how much they feel like they know the Bible, they don't feel like they know it very well. And I suppose that these feelings come up whenever you know, you're talking with somebody and you can't think of the passage. Like You know the Bible says something somewhere that would address this person's question or at least a false argument that maybe you're hearing from a friend at work or whatever, but you just can't find it. And in fact, you can't even find it whenever you go to Google a phrase or maybe what you think the passage says. It's just not coming up to you, or it's the wrong passage. And um, so these, this is not just something peculiar to new Christians, um, people that are young in the faith. But I hear this quite a bit, and 100% of the time that I've heard it said, it was always from someone who did not make the, a practice of reading their Bible through regularly. And by nature of the habit of reading the Bible through regularly, you're going to know your Bible better um, and, and to that, I would say, you know, if you're not, then how is that working for you? <laughs> it's probably something that you can point out and say, yeah, I, I don't do that. Now, let me bring to your attention the rule of seven. The rule of seven is based on a marketing principle that customers need to see your product, your brand at least seven times before they commit to purchasing from you or purchasing your product. This concept has been around, I actually read from a website that it's been around since the 1930s. Movie studios first coined the phrase, the rule of seven, to this idea. And I've heard people talk about this just generally in conversation. It's a pretty well-known approach. I think there's truth to it. Um, I don't have anything based off of research data to verify this, but it's something that I think just generally, it doesn't take a lot of common sense to know that you've got to hear, see, something several times before you remember it, before it really sticks. And so I would like you to think about the rule of seven in terms of Bible reading. And that's why you need to be reading your Bible through on a regular basis. Because think of Bible characters. Maybe you've never, you don't really know much about Jeremiah. Well, the first time you read the story, the book of Jeremiah, you're not going to remember very much, maybe besides his name. Uh, Yeah, you can remember he's a Bible character, but as to what he did, I don't know. But if you've read the book of Jeremiah seven times, then I guarantee you, you're going to be able to at least share something about Jeremiah. The fact that he was lowered into a well in the miry mud, and that he never converted anybody. In fact, the more truth that he shared from God to the people of Israel, the more that he got persecuted. And he is known as the weeping prophet for a reason. When you read his book seven times, you'll get a strong sense that he was a very depressed man because of his ministry and the rejection that he received. So, you know, it's it's just one of those things that you just have to do it over and over, and that goes for anything in life. If you want to get good at it and become knowledgeable about it, it's going to take several times. So make it a habit to read through your Bible regularly, and you'll find that you know more about the Bible as a direct result of that. Um. The next benefit to reading the Bible, besides simply growing in knowledge of the Bible, is that it's a good use of time. How much time do you spend each day scrolling social media? Some people call it doom scrolling. Now compare that to how much time you spend reading your Bible. And you could literally write down and compare the math, but even if you want to just generally do it in your head, is it that you don't have time to read your Bible? Or is it that you waste too much time offering your mind as a sacrifice to the digital gods on your phone? I'll have to be, uh, I'll have to confess here that I do spend too much time just mindlessly scrolling on a social media app. In fact, it's one of the things that I'm trying to set forth as an identity change and as a habit behavior change as I'm going through a book reading group on atomic habits. That's one of the things that I've set out to change about myself. And, um, So, maybe you're the same way. An average reader can read the Bible through every year by just spending about 15 minutes a day reading their Bible. In fact, Crossway put out a publication years ago and said that 12 minutes a day, the average reader could read through the Bible in a year. So think about it. Is it really that you don't have time, or is it that you're just not a good steward of your time? This is a good way to spend your time. No, I don't think anybody would argue with that. I've never heard anybody say otherwise, at least that was a Christian. 
The third benefit to it is that you will appreciate the scriptures more. Not only will you know them more by a direct result of reading it more, you will appreciate it more. I say that because the first time you read through the Bible, it is very confusing. A lot of it's very monotonous, especially the names, and especially like in Exodus and Leviticus, the laws and the instructions for building the tabernacle and so forth. Very monotonous, and it's just confusing. Why is all of this in there? Why are all these genealogies in there? Names and symbols in certain books are just, you know, those books I mentioned before are a lot more prevalent than, say, the Gospel of John and the book of Proverbs. Those are a lot easier to read, but, you know, reading through the Bible every year, you're going to come across a lot of, and let's just be honest, boring material for somebody that's never read the Bible through and doesn't know why this stuff is in there. So um, that stuff's not going to make sense the first time. But the third and the fourth time you read it through, things start jumping off the page at you, and you start to realize how the Scriptures are really one big story that build off of each other. And so when you come into Matthew chapter 1, and it says the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, well, now I know who Abraham is. Abraham was promised by God. He was selected from all the Gentiles to become a great nation, and all the world will be blessed through him. We find out in Matthew's gospel it was because through him would come the Christ, the Savior of the world. The Bible is one big story. Bron Quarter said in, in his uh, walk through the Bible, no Bible story is an island. And what he meant by that is these random stories, seemingly, are not random stories. They all are in the Bible for a very good reason. God was judicious about what he included in there and what he left out. And those stories are somehow developing the greater story of Scripture. So, as a summary, the three benefits that I'm giving to you today are you will increase in your knowledge of the Bible. Go back to the rule of sevens. It is a good use of your time, and you will appreciate the Scriptures more as you start to see how they weave together. So those are the benefits to Bible reading, and now let's just get into Bible reading tips. And some of these are not necessarily listed according to priority, and again, seven of these, or eight of yeah, seven of these are um, pieces that I shared within that Facebook post earlier this week. So if you read that post and you're listening to this episode, you're going to hear some rep repetition. Some of you, I'm certain, did not see the Facebook post, and so here we go. I'm going to share them as if you're hearing this for the first time. Okay, my first Bible reading tip, and I got this from my brother years ago. He suggested this, and at the time, I, I don't know. I was just like, yeah, okay, maybe a good idea. And since then, I've had Bible studies with several individuals who... You know, they did not go to church. I, somehow I met them through a friend or whatever, and I, and I started having Bible studies with them. I would ask them. I always start off when I start studying with somebody that I know doesn't know a lot about the Bible. I'll start off asking them, do you know who King David is? Now, I just did this a couple of weeks ago. There's a, a gentleman who came to me, and he wanted to know the Bible. said that he didn't hardly know anything about it. He didn't know who David was. He didn't know who Abraham was. He thought Abraham was Noah, and he knew about the ark, uh, generally, like just that about that much, but he didn't know what book the Bible was. He again thought Abraham was Noah. He didn't know anything, and so and besides that, he was dyslexic, and so it it was very difficult. It is difficult for him to read, um, you know, like the New King James translation. So what I encouraged him to do was what my brother encouraged uh, me to tell people, and that was take a kids' Bible story book and start reading that understanding that this is not a Bible translation. It's just a kid's Bible story book. And so understanding there may be some details in here, perhaps, that are not absolutely um, correct or accurate, but they get the story across, and they get it across in an understandable way. Especially for somebody that's dyslexic, like that has a learning disability or something, I think that's even more so a good idea. Um, there's a couple that I'd like to offer to you. These are two that I've been referred to me, at least, by friends. One is the 5-Minute Bible Stories, and that's not affiliated with 5-Minute Bible Study. I didn't write that. 5-Minute Bible Stories is a kid's book by Miles Kelly. A friend of mine in Oklahoma said that he is reading this through with his family, and they've never read through the Bible completely. So they're, they're going through this, and he said it's, it's really understandable. Uh, the kids really love it. They're getting a lot of benefit out of it. Another one that I got off of a page that I followed for studying with your children was is called Edgar Meyer's Bible Storybook. And I bought this, 
and I've looked through it. I have not read it, um, but I've looked through it. It is a pretty detailed, like it's a thick book. In fact, it looks like if you were to just take the cover off, you know, the size of a Bible. It's a pretty large kid's Bible story book, but again, it is a kid's Bible story book. It's easier to understand. It hits the highlights. Um, I would encourage you, if you've never read the Bible, to go through something like that. For a lot of you, it's going to take sucking up your pride because you're obviously reading a kid's Bible story book, but I think it's worth it. And I think if, if it'll give us a leg up on getting started reading the Bible regularly, I think that's worth it. So that's something to consider. The second tip that I have to give you is to read a Bible translation that you can understand. Now, we don't have time to get into the King James Version-only controversy, and many people believe that you have to read the King James only. So let's just speak about picking a Bible translation um, as there's the King James and everything else. I'm not a King James-only advocate. Again, without getting into that, if it sounds like a foreign language then don't expect yourself to be able to understand it and regularly read through the Bible. Um, there are so many good modern translations available today. Not all of them are easy to read either. Just because it's newer and doesn't use thou and thee doesn't necessarily mean it's an easy translation to read. I've read through the NIV 2011, which actually I prefer the NIV 1986, just FYI, but um, I've read through it. I've read through the Christian Standard Bible. I've read through the King James, well, the New King James many times. I don't know if I've read through all the King James before, but um, I've read through several of these. One's, the one I like the most is the Christian Standard Bible. It, as far, Let me say that again. The one I like to recommend to people who have not read through the Bible before and they're, and they're having difficulty understanding even the New King James Version. I, I recommend the Christian Standard Bible because it does use a lot of easier, more modern terminology mostly. I did recommend this to one family for their kid, and their kid you know, was coming across some words that were just as big and hard to understand as the New King James had. So it's not perfect, and maybe I'm wrong, but that is one that does a pretty good job of balancing word-for-word um, -word translation with making the text easier to understand in my experience. So regardless, in, and in short, read a Bible translation that you can understand. Because if you aren't going to understand it, you're not going to read it, and it's just going to perpetuate this cycle of not reading through your Bible. Um, I'd also say, in relation to that, read from one translation, and don't jump around, but read from one translation, study from several translations. And that's the big difference. I don't think it's as big of a deal what translation you read from as long as you're studying from several translations. I think that's where we need to be warning each other is when you get committed to one translation in your Bible study, you're going to, you're going to uh, probably not have a, as wholesome a view unless you know Greek and Hebrew. Okay, the third tip that I have for you is to, um, if you're reading through the Bible in a year, but one morning you wake up and you just don't feel like it, and this happens to me, then read just one chapter, just one. That's better than doing nothing. As a general rule, three chapters a day will get you through the Bible in a year. But again, if you don't get through the Bible this year, and maybe you get all the way to the book of James or something, you just didn't quite finish it because you several times you woke up and you only read one chapter, Take that as a win, especially if you're just starting out. That's a win. And so it's okay if you don't finish it this year, especially if it's your first time. Uh, I'm actually getting to one of the other reading tips right here. In fact, let me just get right into the next reading tip, and that is if you don't finish the Bible this year, don't start over January 1st with Genesis and say, I've got to start with Genesis and read it through completely in one year. Your goal starting out is just to finish reading the Bible, to say that you finished it, so that when somebody comes to you and you say that you've been a Christian since you were 14 years old or whatever, now you're 40 years old, and, well, have you read your Bible? No. Your goal is just to finish it. And so if you didn't do it completely in one year, that's fine. There's, there's no, nothing in the Scripture that says you have to read your Bible through in one year. But do read it through and finish it. There's nothing uh, to feel bad about there, and then just start over again. Now, 
That's tip number four. Tip number five, if you're a Christian, I would propose to you to make it your goal to have read through the Bible before the next five years have passed. And that's kind of arbitrary. Uh, We like to count in fives and round numbers and stuff. Uh, So I just chose five because that's a pretty long length of time. It's also one of those round numbers and, and blocks of time that we like to shoot for fives and, you know, what's your five year goal? What's your 10 year goal? Well, before the next five years are up, have read the Bible all the way through. That's very, very low achievable goal. But just accomplishing that will make you feel more confident. Now, really, you ought to be able to do it before then. But again, if you've tried it maybe two and three years in a row and you failed, then I would say, especially in that situation, make it your five-year goal. Uh, It'll give you confidence. I'm I'm telling you, when you finish reading the Bible through for the first time, man, it feels good. And you feel confident, like, yes, I can do this. So I would put that forth to you. And when you got it done, use that confidence and and use that to help you transform your identity into somebody that reads their Bible through regularly. Okay, tip number six. If you're reading through the Bible for the first time and you come to a list of names, just skip them. Most people cannot pronounce biblical names. Most people get bogged down in trying to pronounce them correctly. It slows them down, and then by the time they're done with it, they're already discouraged, and then they're thinking, well, why are these names even in here to begin with? Just skip them. Now, that's not to say that Bible names are not important and that genealogies are not important. They're in there for a reason, and they're very important, especially the Messianic lineage, which is why a lot of those names are in there, by the way. But you won't understand them the first time, so just skip them, and eventually, yes, eventually, I think it it would be nice to be able to say, I read every single word in the Bible. I think that's good to be able to say. You can tell somebody that confidently. Imagine, for example, a Mormon comes up to you, and they want you to read the Book of Mormon. You're like, have you ever read the Book of Mormon? They say no, and they're a Mormon, and you're like, well, why should I be listening to you? And they're probably thinking the same thing if they were to ask you, have you read your Bible? So I think it's very good to be able to have said you've done, not to brag about whatsoever, but just simply to have that confidence and to be able to share with each other that you actually do believe the words that you're following, supposedly. But just skip names for the first time through, maybe even the second time through until you get a handle on things. Okay, tip number seven. If you're afraid reading the Bible through with your kids because they might ask questions that you don't know the answer to, I would tell you to stop worrying about it and just read it with them. And here's the reason I say that, because young kids will rarely ask questions that you can't look up the answers to. And then as soon as I said that, of course, my sister commented on that Bible reading tips thing and said that they had been reading through Genesis recently and their kids asked them about the sin of Ham and something else, and they're like, well, "What do you What do you say to that? You know, what do you tell them?" Her kids are pretty smart. They might uh, they're a little older too. They're like nine, eleven, something like that. And um, yeah, the older they get, the harder questions they're going to ask. Obviously, uh, at the same time, it's not wrong. There's nothing wrong with being able to with saying to them, "I don't know the answer to that." You know, that's something that I need to look up. And but most of the time, especially with younger kids they're not going to ask earth-shattering questions. And if they do, it's okay to say, you know what, we'll talk about that one day if it's super complicated, like about the Trinity or about um, sex, uh, you know, stories that include the raping of Dinah or something like that. Those are things that, you know, you say that's that's a conversation for another time. Uh, we'll talk about it when you get older. And other stuff, you can look it up. The answer to it next time, talk to somebody at church that you think you trust in to give you the right answer or to help you find the right answer, and then, you know, address it before y'all start your next Bible reading the next night. Um, this will also, I, I believe, be a, a great accountability feature to, to kind of force you to study your Bible and to grow as Christians. So I think that really is actually a benefit that they would ask you questions, kind of force your hand to study the Bible. It's really not as intimidating as it sounds like once you get started, um, although I understand how it can be intimidating at first. Okay, tip number eight. This is one that I've gone back and forth on over the years, but I would encourage you, if you're a first-time Bible reader, to start reading in the Gospels. And here's what I tell people today. Uh, Choose to read the Gospel of John. I think it's good to start with the Gospel of John as one of the two Gospels that I would encourage you to start with. I would say start with two of the Gospels and then proceed to the book of Acts and, you know, keep on reading through the New Testament that way. The reason I say that is because John... Only 7% of John's material is shared material with the other Gospels, so it's a very unique book. 
then I would encourage to read along with that probably Matthew or Mark, and probably Mark, because it's shorter, it's uh, quick and to the point. Those two Gospels, I believe it's like um, in the 90, 90th percent of shared information between Matthew and Mark. I have a chart somewhere that has that exactly. But a lot of that is the same in Matthew and Mark's Gospels. There is some difference that will be borne out in reading it, but those two are very close together. And between Matthew and John, or Mark and John, you're going to get a pretty good picture of the Gospels and what's going on there. Now, I would not encourage you to read all four Gospels at first if you've never read the Bible, because I've encouraged people to do that before. I know people who have done that, and it is discouraging by the time they get to Luke or John, because it's like, I'm reading the same story over and over. What's Why? Why? I'm not saying don't ever go back and read all four Gospels. Certainly not saying that. I'm saying when you're starting out, choose two of them, John and another one, and then go on to read the book of Acts. When you understand why there are four Gospels, then it makes sense why I'm saying just read two at first, and you don't need to read all four right out of the gate. Most people agree with this, and it's certainly of my opinion, that there are four Gospels to serve as the two to three, in this case, four eyewitnesses to the uh, resurrection of Christ and to the life, the, the birth, the life, the death, resurrection, crucifixion, or crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. Um, that was the Old Testament law to verify uh, evidence and cases of law. That's the same basis of evidential reasoning in the court systems today, two or three witnesses. And I believe that there are four Gospels to provide enough witness testimony for the facts of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection that nobody should have any reason to doubt it. With that said, if that's the purpose of it, then there's nothing wrong with just reading two of those stories to get the general account of what's going on and then proceed to get the rest of the story and finish up Luke and Matthew later. So that's my advice. I also, in that, would say, don't start with Genesis. I, you know, I got into a period there a few years ago where I would encourage people to start with Genesis. And as I did that, because I thought, you know, go back to the beginning. Because, you know, if you're going to understand Jesus, you've got to understand where everything started. And I think generally that's true. You need to, because you're going to have to have read Genesis before it's over with for you to understand a lot of the things that are being referred to in the Gospels. For example, you know, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Or you're going to have to read Samuel um, and, and Genesis to, to understand who Abraham and David are. There are so many allusions. There's so many. There's over 300 quotations of the Old Testament in the New. To understand all that, you're going to have to have read the Old Testament, but it's very discouraging when you start off reading there because it's a lot more difficult. There's a lot more questions and a lot more lists and names and monotonous details, it seems like. That's why I don't, I've had people get discouraged and kind of fall off by starting there before. So I would say start in the Gospels that way, finish the New Testament, and then go start reading in Genesis maybe. Okay, tip number nine, don't start with the book of Revelation. Uh, that's what a lot of people like to do. They like to start talking about Revelation, start reading Revelation. There's so many th things said about Revelation today, especially if you're on TikTok, Instagram, wherever, and people want to start there. But that's like starting with trigonometry when you don't even know the basics of arithmetic. Literally, if you've never read the Bible before, you don't know the basics of arithmetic in this parallel. Why in the world would you try to go study calculus in the book of Revelation? So don't start there. Don't get caught up in what everybody's saying uh, until you've really read the Bible through, and you're going to have to re read the Bible through several times before you're going to understand a lot of the symbols, a lot of the things that are being alluded to by John as he then takes symbols and figures from the Old Testament to express truths of the spiritual realm in his time. Okay, number 10, don't start off reading the Old Testament. And I actually got into that when I was talking about um, reading the Gospels, so we're just going to move right on. That was tip number 10. I got a little ahead of myself. Tip number 11, understand that the books of the Bible are not arranged chronologically. Um, if, if you were to have a sheet of paper that I have in my computer, I could share it with you, and it, it shows how the books of the English Bible are arranged according to their type of literature that they are. But by nature of that, it takes books out of their chronological sequence. And even the books themselves are not, the content in them is not 
always chronological. And I would, I would, I know a few books to give you as examples to see this. Genesis, Judges, especially the Psalms, Daniel, especially, and the Gospel of Luke are five books that I could put forth to you as there's lots of examples in those books that the content within them is not listed and written in a linear sequence, a chronological sequence. In fact, on um, chapelgrovechurch.com, under the Books and Articles page, I have an article called The Chronology of Luke's Gospel and the Two Cups in His Last Supper Account, which gives examples from all those books I just listed, showing examples where the content in them is not chronological, and all that helps to understand why there's two cups in Luke's Gospel account of the Last Supper only, and not in Matthew and Mark and John's, or there isn't one in John's, but Matthew and Mark. And uh, it helps to understand that the Bible books themselves are not arranged chronological order, and the content within them, or at least certain details, are not chronological either. Now, you might be thinking, well, what about the book of Genesis? Is it not chronological? And as a general storyline, yes, it is. Like, the linear progression is generally chronological, but there are singular details, and there are singular singular stories within the book that are arranged non-chronologically, and they just kind of pop up, and you're like, well, why was that there? And why is it here whenever that person lived before the person I just read uh, in the previous chapter? And so that can throw you off if you're assuming that it's all chronological. So that might help uh, reading your Bible through to know that in advance. Okay, tip number 12. I would encourage people to write in their Bible generally, but the tip specifically that I have for you is to write down questions in the margin of your Bible as you read through it from year to year. The reason that this is important is for really building self-confidence and for finding answers to questions that you are really pressing to you. So when you read through the Bible regularly, you come across these questions that you've written down. And through Bible conversations with people, through going to church and hearing the teaching at church, you will learn naturally the answers to a bunch of the questions that you have when you read through the Bible the first time. A lot of the questions you're going to have are elementary because you're just looking at surface things. That's what you notice the first time through. And so you'll be able to see the next time through, hey, I know the answer to that. And that will boost your confidence that you're growing in your knowledge as you read. Yes, it will. And the ones that you don't know the answer to, then it will encourage you to seek those out finally. And then, you know, as you read it through the next time, write more questions down, and and that cycle just progresses. I would say if you're going to do this, don't get a really fancy Bible to start with because eventually as you grow in knowledge, you're not going to want those questions in the margin of your Bible. They're going to be taking up precious space where you'd like to write other things. So maybe start with a cheaper Bible, and then eventually as your Bible knowledge grows and you are convinced, I want you know this list in my margin on this page for the rest of my life, and I, I don't ever want it moved, then you know, get a really nice Bible and make those permanent notes in that really nice Bible. Otherwise, you're gonna, I think you're going to regret spending all the money on your first Bible. Okay, tip number 13, have a reading partner. This is something that Aaron Boone commented on the, the Bible tips list on Facebook this week. I think it was a very good tip. And somebody else also commented that the Uversion app has an accountability feature. There are some ladies at church that use this. I think it's very good because I've seen firsthand evidence where members of the church using that feature of the Uversion app um, have read the Bible through for the first time ever by nature of that accountability group. So basically how it works is the Uversion app, you look it up, and it's just a brown Bible that says Holy Bible, like on the, the Apple Play Store. And um, you can create a profile, just like you, it's like a social media profile. You create a profile, you can add other friends, they can add you. You can create a reading plan, or you can join a reading plan, and then other people can join that. And then you can see who has done the reading that day as they have marked it off each day, and who hasn't. Um, It gives you that sense of accountability that I've seen have proven success. So I think that's really good. Yes, accountability is always good when you're trying to do anything that's really long and difficult, like reading the Bible through. Okay, tip number 14, read out of a physical Bible. The reason I say this is because uh, two different kind of sides of the coin. Your kids will see you reading your Bible if you're reading it on your phone, and they'll think that you're just playing on your phone. 
But when they see you reading out of the physical Bible, they can see you prioritizing the Word of God. If you have kids, I think that's a big deal. Even if you don't, like if people see you reading out of the Bible, you're not doing it to be seen by men, but it's also a way for you to accomplish two things. It's a way for you to um, start a Bible conversation with people around you. If you're in a doctor's office or whatever, they see you reading your physical Bible, and uh, they'll take note of that and maybe ask you, what are you reading about? And that's a way to start a Bible conversation. So again, you're not don't do it with the attitude of being seen by men to see how righteous you are, but if you're doing it as a way to start Bible conversation and just not appear to be just playing on your phone, if you're reading the Bible on your phone, I think that's a good reason to read out of a physical Bible. Now, another um, thing I would say about the benefits of reading out of a physical Bible is that it will help serve your memory. And what I mean by that is when you're reading off of a phone, the formatting looks the same. Uh, Every page of the Bible looks exactly the same. When you're reading out of a physical Bible, let me open mine here while I'm talking. For example, Mark 14 starts at the top left corner of my physical Bible that I read out of. And so as I'm reading through it, maybe I spend some time reading and thinking about Mark 14. And I spend a lot of time... Now, I've done this with, like, for example, Matthew 18. I know on Matthew 18, it's on the second column of the left page in my Bible. And so if I didn't know my Bible really well, but I I can remember there was a conversation about going to your brother when he has a fault against you or you have a fault against him. And I remember it was in Matthew and the page looked like this in my mind. It was on the left page of the second column, but you don't know the exact chapter. You can flip through it a lot easier and find a lot faster because of that memory aid of the physical page of your Bible. Also, once you start making notes and you start making a lot of highlights and stuff, you'll remember all that verse I was thinking of the other day. It was on a page with lots of of uh, highlights. In fact, it was next to that verse that, I, that I've that i memorized about leaning not on your own understanding in Proverbs 3. Let me go there. Up oh, there it is. So I, I really, it's really helped me. This has helped me to remember where things are. I may not be able to spit out the exact verse reference, but I know where it is on the page in my physical Bible. That will help you as you start to become familiar with the content of the Bible. It'll also help you I think faster than on your phone to learn the books of the Bible in their order. When you're physically turning to the books of the Bible, uh, that will help you learn where the Bible books are if you're doing that on a weekly, especially a daily basis. I would also encourage you at church to have your Bible out and turn to the books of the Bible um, and practice it at home, practice it at church, learn where the books are. It will help you. Okay, tip number 15. This is the last Bible reading tip. If you really want to get the full effect of a Bible book, especially the epistles in the New Testament, then read the whole book in one sitting. That's my advice to you. Now, my dad made this illustration years ago, and I really liked it. And if you get a letter in the mail, do you read it by reading one page, setting the letter down, and saying, okay, I'm going to read the next page tomorrow, or maybe Saturday? And then you get to Saturday and you read another page. Say it's a six-page letter. And you're like, okay, I'm going to read the next page tomorrow. No, that's not how you read a letter. The epistles, literally the letters of the New Testament, the epistles of Paul, the epistles of Peter, are letters that were meant to be read in one sitting. That's how letters are read. And so if you want to get the full effect of it, try sitting down and reading an entire book, or especially, let's just focus on the letters of the New Testament, reading an entire letter of Paul all in one sitting like Romans. Romans is a big book it, when you just sit down and read it in one sitting. It's a lot bigger than James, for example. But if you do that, it'll help you connect the beginning parts, the middle parts, and the conclusion parts of that letter all together. It will aid you in understanding and maintaining the context of the book and the verses within the book. And so that's my advice to you to practice that. You don't have to do it all the time, but just do do it from time to time where you sit down and say, I'm going to read this entire book from beginning to end. Now, I've done that before with, like, the book of Revelation. That's a really long book, and it's a difficult book. And it was, like, I had to have a lot of grit to do that, that time that I, that I did. I've done it one time. And um, you may find that that's very The longest book in the New Testament is Luke. And if you did that with Luke, <laughs> you'd 
you better have some coffee and you better have a few hours of time. So I'm not saying that it's necessarily realistic uh, to do that with every book of the Bible, but I am saying that it's especially beneficial with the letters of the New Testament, and it will help you become familiar with them. That's my 15 tips for um, reading the Bible, um, and I can't actually summarize those right here because the way that they're listed on my paperwork here. So I would encourage you to just go back and read this through if you need that, and maybe I'll publish all 15 of these in an article on 5-Minute Bible Study. That's probably what I'll do, and then you would be able to refer back to that a lot quicker. Before I'm done, though, I do want to address one Bible reading fallacy, and then I'll shut up. This is a, a fallacy that I shared on 5-Minute Bible Study a few weeks ago. And it's an either-or fallacy. If you've listened, if you've read the quotes that I share on Facebook and Instagram much, you know that I like either-or fallacies. It's something that we commit a lot, where you, you narrow down your choice to one of two choices, and it has to be either one. There are no third options available, and you can't choose both of the answers on the table. You have to choose one. When there's nothing that really necessitates that logically, maybe on a verse of Scripture and what it means, um, or a doctrine. And Okay, well, I'm probably confusing you more. Let me just get into the Bible reading fallacy. The fallacy in regards to Bible reading goes like this. You have two choices. You can read the Bible through on a yearly basis, or you can read the Bible through slowly, not on an annual basis, and understand it. People might express it like this. I don't even try to read the Bible through each year because I would rather read slowly and really think about what I'm reading. I've heard people state this in one way or another many times, and it's, again, typically always from people who have never read their Bible through. And um, I'm taking them to be sincere that they really do want to read their Bible through to understand it slowly. But I would say this. The fallacy in this argument and the misunderstanding is that you have to either read the Bible through on a yearly basis or read slowly, not on an annual basis, and really think about the text. You can't read slowly and deliberately and read the Bible through on an annual basis. So you got to choose one of these. When in reality, and I already cited this before, an average reader can read through the Bible in one year with only 15 minutes, according to Crossway, 12 minutes of reading each day. With only 15 minutes of extra meditation, that's 30 minutes, or if it's 12 plus 15, 27 minutes, you can really think about what you're reading. That's reasonable. And you've got to cut it off somewhere. Like, you can't spend your whole life just studying one book of the Bible or one verse of the Bible. That would be spending too long on one verse and, and too long thinking about one verse, right? You've got to cut it off somewhere, so this gives you a fine balance. Reading for 15 minutes, meditating on it for 15 minutes. That's not a lot of time. Again, back to the point of when how much we waste on just scrolling on our phones. Now, as a result of really trying to think about what you're reading and, and not reading it through every year. Most Christians that have this mindset fail to do either one. They don't read their Bible through routinely, and unfortunately, they don't read their Bible through with thoughtfulness or read it with thoughtfulness at all most of the time. Consequently, most Christians have never read their Bible cover to cover. I'm talking in general now, most Christians at all, whether they have this philosophy or not, they've not read their Bible through from cover to cover. Most of them feel as if they don't know their Bible like they should. Commitment to an annual reading routine, I believe, is the best way of learning the Bible and reading thoughtfully. You can read the Bible through in a year in a short amount of time with a little bit of commitment and be thoughtful about it. Now, I'm going to name Ethan Wall. He commented on this uh, either-or fallacy when I posted it. He shared this, which I thought was a great addition. Ethan said, if if a person tries to read thoroughly and thoughtfully but never reads through the whole Bible, he or she is opening himself to many possible misinterpretations that would easily have been avoided by having read the whole Bible through. And I want to give you an example of this. I think Ethan's exactly right, and I was trying to express that, but he expressed it much plainer and clearly than I did. Recently, a person asked me if I believe that demons are real, if they dwell on the earth today, and if they inhabit people. Now, without going into how I answered him, I want to just 
um, give to you a, a broad overview of the Bible in relation to the subject of demons. This person believed that, yes, demons do inhabit people and that he has exercised demons out of people before. I don't believe that exorcism is possible today, as I don't believe that miracles occur anymore. I do believe they did occur, and they will occur again when Jesus comes back, obviously, because that's a miracle in itself by the description of Scripture. Um, but I believe Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 13, that they have ceased. I have four-part video of this on my YouTube channel. You can watch that if you want. But without going any more into that, I don't believe that demon exorcism occurs today. Now, whether or not demons inhabit people today or not, the Bible doesn't make more clear than just what we can read. So in the Bible, by and large in the Old Testament, if people are inhabited by demons, it doesn't make that clear. And if some of the wild behavior that people would demonstrate sometimes, like when um, people do crazy things in certain Bible stories, if those were related to people being possessed by demons, it is not made explicit by the writer. You don't see demon possession until Jesus Christ comes to the earth and his ministry begins. Then you see people who have been inhabited by demons for since their birth, and um, not everybody, I'm just some individuals like Legion, and that occasion where Jesus cast the demon out of um, the young man who had been tied by a chain, and then he cast the demon into a herd of swine because the demons asked to be. Um, you see demon possession for the first time explicitly mentioned in the Gospels. And even then, I believe there's only two accounts in the post-Jesus period, so in like the book of Acts, there are only two accounts, I believe, and you can double-check this, where demons possess people and are exercised by the apostles in the book of Acts. And after that, you don't even see demon possession referenced in the epistles anymore. Um, verify me on this. Or in the book of Revelation, um, there's a lot of symbols there, so if there is demon possession there, you know, uh, it's, it's listed in symbolic language. So with that being said, if you had never read the Bible through all the way, you wouldn't know that, right? And you would have just assumed, and I think many people do, that there is demon possession from Genesis to Revelation, and there's just not. In fact, there's not, all in all, that covers a long period of time. You're talking 3,000 plus years is covered, about 3,000 years, in the um, Genesis to Revelation time period that the Bible history is covering. And there are not miracles on every page of history. Even in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, I believe it, it says that miracles were not common in that time. So there are peaks and valleys of miraculous power being demonstrated in Scripture, but there's not even any demon possession until you come to the Gospels. What's the core feature? What's, the, what's happening there? You have God in the flesh coming to, uh, to dwell in the flesh, yes, and he exercises his power over the uh, spiritual realm of good and bad. And he casts out demons to show that he has the power over Satan, the devil. And he has come to put an end to Satan's power and to chain it. After that, you don't hear hardly anything about him. Um, and that kind of leaves the impression that demon possession waned off after the ministry of Jesus. There is a reference at the end of Mark that Christians would be able to cast out demons, I believe. But the absence of any details of very much demon activity in the scriptures from then on kind of leaves you with the impression that demon possession kind of falls off after Jesus ascends back into heaven. Um, are people possessed by demons today? If they are, the Bible doesn't make that extremely clear toward the latter half of the New Testament. Um, but as far as being able to exercise demons, that's definitely a miraculous ability, and I don't believe that miracles occur today, even though they have in the past and will again in the future, um, that I do not believe based off of what Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 13, and, and our human experience as well verifies that. Um, some people would argue that their human experience does not verify that, and, and their human experience verifies that demon possession does happen today, but that's not the point. We're not getting into a long dispute about demon possession here. It's just simply to say that if you've read the Bible through, then you are uh, should be familiar with the fact that there's not much about demon possession until this one particular period in time when Jesus comes to show his power over Satan and demons. 
So that's just a, an example of why reading your Bible through will help you interpret Scripture accurately, maintain the context, and avoid um, misinterpretation. So I would encourage you to read the Bible through. The benefits, again, you'll know your Bible better. It's a good use of your time. You will appreciate Scripture more. I gave you 15 tips for your Bible reading and one Bible reading fallacy to avoid. I hope that helped you. Thanks for listening. Well, that about wraps up this episode. I probably, like I mentioned, will share these 15 tips on an article on Facebook at some point, or rather on 5MinuteBibleStudy.com. So go to the website, 5MinuteBibleStudy.com. Check out more of our content. I have a recent article that I posted, Must I Be a Member of a Church, that I think that you might find interesting. Also on that article, there is a sermon version that I gave, a video sermon at Chapel Grove Church of Christ. If you've never been to ChapelGroveChurch.com, go there and check out that website. If you're interested in taking a Bible study, there are Bible study uh, courses you can take on there completely online. Submit them, get your courses graded. And one of those is, are you saved? Can you be confident that you were saved when you think you were saved? There's a full video course on there that I've done, uh, Aaron, and I would encourage you to take that and test your Bible knowledge and your experience. Well, that's all I have for you today. Uh, Until next time, it's been the 5-Minute Bible Study Podcast. 